Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're speaking with Matt Sapola, founder of the Money Smart Company, co-owner of PHP Agency, host of Seven Figure Squad on YouTube, and co-host of the Money Smart Show radio program. Matt, he served as a U.S. Marine for a good period of his life, where he learned important life skills such as discipline, determination, and motivation that later helped him to build his way to the top as a renowned financial advisor to entrepreneurs, financial professionals, and more. He has appeared on top news channels such as Fox, NBC, ABC, and Chicago's WGN. His work has been reviewed by prestigious journals uh, such as the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Advisor Today, and Financial Advisor IQ. And he's also the co-host of the reality television series, The Invested Life for MSN Money. Matt lives happily with his wife, Sheena, uh, and his five children. Welcome to the show, Matt. Great to be here. I love talking about this type of stuff, man. So uh, good to know that you're in your neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, really excited to have you on. I've I've been following you for a while and seeing some of the stuff you talk about, and I think it's I think it's brilliant. Give it give our audience some context as to what you're about, what you do, uh, and a bit about your background. Yeah, so I came out of the Marine Corps. I, I served eight years in the Marines. I did two combat tours uh, with old Uncle Sam. Uh, got out of the uh, Marine Corps as a single father, and um, I had responsibility for three kids. Thank God for sales. Thank God for entrepreneurship because. I couldn't wait, you know, three, four years later to get a college degree. Yeah. So I went right into sales right away. Didn't really know what I was doing. I'll know it was a job and I learned along the way. And uh, make a long story short, I turned I turned my idea into a business and I've been doing this now for the last 21 years. It's amazing. Um, before the show, we talked about, you know, going from kind of practitioner to business owner. And I think it's super relevant for our audience. A lot of people in healthcare, we are technicians at heart. We get into it because we want to help people and we want to, we want to do the work, right? And we spend so long learning this stuff. And so then business is kind of the secondary idea. Like there's some of us that get into it. Like me, I thought I'm going to get into this for business. It's going to be a stepping stone to get places. But for the majority of people, they're moved by it uh, and they jump into it. And then what happens is they, they work for someone as a job. And then they start their own business, but it's not a business. It's a practice. And, and the key definition between business and practice for me is a practice is just a fancy word for job for a health professional. We're doing <laughs> all the work. We're hustling. We don't get holidays. Sure, we have some creative control, but uh, otherwise we're, we're kind of jailed. So I think it'd be great for us to really talk about that because we touched on it, right? How do you go from sort of practitioner or practice to business? What do you think the, the key difference is between someone who uh, is a business owner versus sort of a practice uh, owner? I think as a practice, I started off as a practice thinking that I was a business owner. You know, you, you get excited, you go to the print company. What's your title? Business owner, you know, even though it's me, myself, and I. I was just excited about making a living. I was excited about my new endeavor. I was just excited about making some money. I was excited about uh, putting uh, my sign over my door, a, a sign right in front of my desk and called it my business. And in all actuality, I was a practice. And I realized that it was a practice when in our industry, inside the insurance industry, and I run into a lot of doctors. I run into a lot of um, uh, healthcare professionals on the golf course. And by the way, I'm, I'm just smoking a cigar. I'm not, I'm not a good golfer myself. I'm just smoking a cigar. I have some friends that are better golfers than I am. Just, I'm just there for company. But uh, they, they would express to me, Matt, listen, I, uh, I'm worried about right now what's going on in my office, but I get, I get to get over, over this tea time so I can run back to my practice because I'm not sure what's going on at my office. Yeah. And so I'm, I said, you know, same thing for me. And then next, you know, over the years in the insurance industry, they'd fly us all over the world on these exotic trips they take us on. I'm always worried what's going on in my office. I'm like, I'm paying you yeah. salary. I'm paying you staff. Is any work getting done? Because everything was rested upon these shoulders. And I, what I found, and I did that for 12, 13, four, uh, I think 12 years, 13 years. And I was just so stressed out. 
every year, year after year with that practice for me, because that's not what's necessary, but what's, what was a better fit for me. I just felt such stinging pressure yeah. over, over time, you know, running a practice. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir. We've all, we've all felt that. It's, it's a real kind of top heavy upside down pyramid. It's all on us. And the problem with that is that it falls down very easily. Like I, I had the experience of, uh, I'd been working straight out of college. We've been hustling. We grew a, a successful business and I wanted to go on holiday. But the conundrum was, well, if I go on holiday, it's going to cost me five, 10 grand to go to Europe, right? But if I don't work, it's going to cost me 20, 30, 40, 50. And so <laughs> suddenly it was like weighing it up. Like, is this holiday worth it? Would I pay that much for this holiday? And realizing that I was literally paying for my time because the the business was not working if I was not there. We had some systems in place. Like most of us, we have a, you know, assistance and things like that, but it's still accountable back through us. We're still overseeing everything. And I think that to go from practice owner to business owner, you really have to be able to step out of a lot of the, the management roles and the day-to-day work. What was the, the first thing that you did to start? Because you, you obviously had the realization that, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want it, the business yeah. to be like this. What was the first thing that you did to make the shift? Well, somebody shoved in, in my face the E-Myth by uh, Michael Gerber. Somebody told me a story about the employee, the technician, and the entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and, and so all these guys are fighting with each other, right? And, and come to find out they're, they're the same person. The visionary was held back by the manager. The manager was held back by the technician. And so all these guys are having a fight because the, vi- the entrepreneur wants to grow. The technician says, slow down. We got to make sure we got a good product or a great widget. And the manager says, you know, wants to control everything. And the technician just wants to nerd out on their product or their service. So one of the first thing I said is, what do I do really well? What's the revenue generating activity I do really well? What is unique to me? What else can I start creating a process around? What am I average at that I can delegate? And I just need to retain for myself. Okay, you're, you're really good at doing this. You know what I found out? Even though I'm in the insurance industry, and although I'm involved in sales, I really wasn't good at the sales part. Go figure. I really wasn't good at that part. You know what's better? My wife. Yeah. My wife is a whole lot better in sales because she can say things and come across in a very kind, gentle type of way, but very stern and get away with it. I couldn't. Yeah. And I said, you know what, baby, you know what I'm good at? I'm good at the marketing. I'm good at the leadership development. I'll stay this lane. This is your lane. But before it was my wife, it was my other uh, business partners that took that role in terms of sales because I've been licensed now as an insurance agent for two decades, but I haven't seen a client since 2010. So that's, that was my beginning, my evolution to find out what I did well. Yeah. I've, I went through a similar process and it was just, there's certain things that I just dislike doing that I'm good at, but I, I just don't like it and it drains me. And there's stuff that, you know, I shouldn't be doing, right? And then it's the things that I love and I should be doing. And I kind of started to look at it and I went, well, how do I build a business that allows me to do more of the stuff that I like, the more of the stuff that I'm good at, uh, and less of the crap that I don't? And so we began kind of creating processes that allowed us to standardize it and outsource it to someone who just had to pick it up and do it. And the evolution of that has come from not only in my health business, but also my coaching business. I was, you know, what I thought was good on the phone doing sales as well, but it took up so much time. And I thought, and this is the scary thing for, for when you're newer in business. It's like, so for me in my practice, right, do I stop seeing clients? Do I hire an associate? Do I get someone else to see clients? Or at least bring someone in to see clients? And then I'm thinking, man, what's going to happen if, if they don't do a good job? Or are they going to know all the stuff that I'm going to know and all this kind of thing? And so that for me was in the health business. And then in the coaching business, it was like, how do I get off the phone and stop doing sales? Because it's taking up so much time, but that's my revenue generator. So with the practice, I just took the jump and said, well, shit, I'm never going to get to where I want to be unless I have someone else because I've got so many people wanting to see us, 
but we just can't serve them. And I kind of got rid of my ego and said, let's just standardize some part of it. And what's the minimum expectation to bring someone in? What are your sort of thoughts on that? How did you go from being kind of sole producer or even your wife being sole producer to, to expanding? We got a famous uh, college basketball coach here. He coached UCLA. His name is John Wooden. Right? Yeah, he coached the most amount of NCAA championships and the most stored coach out there. Sadly, he passed away. But he, he said something. If you want to do it fast, do it yourself. But if you want to go far, build a team. Mm. So, so that was the thought process. Like, I can generate revenue now. I can pay my bills today. I can do it. But that was good for as long as I'm doing it. What happens if I don't want to do it? Mm. And, and, I, and I realized for me is that the business was running me. My practice was running me instead of me running my life, me running my business. And so when we started creating the, we call it a unique ability uh, um, spreadsheet uh, and, and having that process, you know, I think every business person will evolve in, uh, one of four things. They'll evolve as a great sales leader and then they'll evolve into a great sales manager. So they're, they're a great technician. They can start teaching other people. And then eventually with systems and processes, then you'll become a business owner and then you become a CEO. Right? Then you become a visionary. So that, that has been my evolution of those four things over a period of time. I didn't learn this stuff uh, right away. It was only a period of time where I found out my, my mistakes. I started reaching out to bigger uh, resources and better resources that have been there, done that. I said, James, I don't want to be smart. I want to be wise. And being wise means, like what you said earlier, emptying your cup, dropping your egos. I don't want my ego to be bigger than my bank account because my bank account is a reflection of safety, security, and the amount of people I'm helping. And so when we first started emptying our cup and seeing what we didn't see, that's when I started connecting intelligence plus experience. Then that was wisdom. I started tapping into other people's wisdom. Yeah, 100%, 100%. We get sometimes caught in being on our own boat and thinking that I've got this vision, I want to get here and only I can do it and only I can figure it out. I feel like some of that is, is, is ego and some of that is kind of naivety and ignorance, like thinking that it's, it's only us on this journey because we've, we're so focused here. We're not looking sideways and saying, hang on, there's 50 million others that are maybe doing this stuff. And, you know, should I be trying to figure everything out myself? And, and I say it to my clients, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. You want to find what's working and follow the path. If we're, you know, walking through a minefield and you're taking me through it, I'm going to put my feet exactly where you've put your feet because guess what? That's obviously going to get me to safety. Uh, and too many people kind of look at problems and think, okay, this is great that someone else is doing it, but I'm going to try and do it myself. And I don't know whether it's because it makes us feel good or we feel like we overcame the obstacle, but you're a bit of a bit of a lemon if you're trying to struggle to get over the fence because you just want an obstacle, whereas everyone else is going through the door and kind of continuing on. And I think that especially when it's a solopreneur or it's you know just us in practice, Yep. There's this element of I built it up. And I know that I felt that, right? It was like, I built it up. I did this. It's my thing. Now that I look back, I'm like, man, I was such a lemon. I should have just seen this. I should have seen that. should have done that. What, what advice would you give to someone who's at the beginning, who's seeing all, all this stuff and saying, I want to build this business, or maybe they, they think that they have a business. And yeah. it's like, how do I get out of my own way and start yeah. letting go, delegating, that kind of thing? There's a great book out there. My mentor just wrote it. It's a Wall Street Journal's uh, uh, bestseller. It's number one in the list. It's called Your Next Five Moves. I'm sure you guys have chess down there, right? Any chess players, people play chess. Well, the amateurs know their first three, four, five moves. But the grandmasters know the 15, 20th moves. Like I'm leading you to a play where if I do this, I know 15 moves down the road, I can come back. I kind of know what you've done already. And I, I already know that type of move you, you already made. And this is my move. They, they know the grandmasters know 15, 20 moves ahead of everybody else. So move number one, figure out what you want. What is it that you ultimately want to accomplish? Okay, you got, you got your education, you got your certifications, you got your licenses, you got your permits, you got your establishment. But what, what is it all for? And if for me, 
I was so short-sighted when I first started is I just want to pay the bills. Mm. I just want to pay the bills. I want to get this off the ground. I'll figure out later. Right. And then, and then 12 years later, I said, I thought I was going to figure this out earlier. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm burnt yeah. out, man. That pin in my stomach every December 31st is getting there bigger and bigger every year because I got to repeat my success beginning January 1st again all year. And so figure out what is it that you want. And not to say for you, what isn't necessarily better, but what's best for you. And for me, I want to create something that I can hand off to my kids if they wanted it. I want to create generational wealth. I want to have something that was saleable. If they don't want the business, I can, I can put it on the market and sell it as a saleable asset. And, and we all know that a, a practice is less, it goes less on the market than an actual business. So I want to have something where somebody independent can, let's say, you know what? I like that company. Buy it right now. And by the way, we're in the process of doing that right now with one of our businesses. But a business is more profitable than a practice, uh, no matter how you cut the evaluation, because nobody really wants to buy a practice, but buyers want to buy a business. And I've run into this before, and, and I'm a chiropractor by trade, and, and this is super common, is that chiropractors build great practices and horrible businesses. And it's because <laughs> it's focused around you, the practitioner, and maybe you have some associates, but they're not the ones generating most of the revenue, and it's not, it's a very top-heavy situation. And so we talk about goodwill, right? Uh, especially, in, I know that's a general business term, but especially in chiropractic, it's like, what's the, the goodwill of the business, and you're paying a percentage for that. And looking at it, I'm thinking, this is a terrible way to run a business because first of all, we're running this business into something that we can't sell because no one's going to buy it because it doesn't run itself. And secondly, it's all on us. And so, like you said, I think thinking about where do I want this, this business to be? Where do I want to be? And if I'm building the business towards being an entity that I can sell, what would need to be in place? One of those things is you need to understand your numbers really well. One of those things is you need to have staff and practitioners that are working independently where they can, a different leader comes in and they can continue. Because the key thing with the practice is if it's all on you and all the people yep. see you yep. and you leave, business Annoying. dies. I love chiropractic care. It's changed my life. Chiropractic has changed my life. And I'll just tell you this. I've had both. I've had practitioners and I've been to businesses. I didn't mind so much if three or four different chiropractors worked on me. And they had a rotation, but they all had their notes on me. They had a, in a system of process. They could look in the computer. Oh, and they remember me. So after a while, I built a relationship with three, four, five of them where it wasn't so dependent. And by the way, it was also annoying for me to stick with a practitioner. I'm just saying as a, as a client experience, it probably has no bearing to this podcast, but I'm just telling you as a patient of a practitioner, I was always annoyed having to wait. I said, can you have the three, four other people here? I just wanted to come in, do my thing, do my yeah. exercise, bounce. So I, I got a lot of value as a customer from the patient side of things from a business than I did from an independent practitioner. There's FYI. 100%. Part of the big thing that I teach is how do we build a business with associates, right? Or contractors, yeah. not a group practice. Because yep. what people do is they, they hire practitioners to do their thing. And the problem with that is there's too much independence and everyone's doing their own thing. Like I can't see you uh, and yeah. then that person, because you all do different stuff. And so I have to wait for my practitioner over there on holiday or, you know, it's, it's, it's just dumb. And it, 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 you, <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't sell a group practice because it goes, again, it's got the keyword practice in it, right? A business. And it's how I've built my business is practitioners are there to do a job. They're there to see clients in the way that the business has determined. There's elements of obviously clinical decision-making because that has to be there, right? And personality, of course, but we're hiring someone who fits into the culture. So it's not like it's going to be some outlandish personality. And we're hiring someone who has fundamentally the skills and then we train into them the processes, the systems, how we book clients and make recommendations and do treatment so that there's a standardization 
which allows for, you know, people can go to different people and it makes it easy because yeah, you're right. It's sometimes it's annoying to wait. And especially if you wanted to grow a business, what happens if this person's away or busy or you've got to have this reproducibility. It's right, it works you independently, you know? Right here. I mean, I'm in the insurance business, but you know, we, we have, we have a culture book, not only for our field mm-hmm. force, you know, we have, we have 16,000 agents across the country. This one manual for, to determine our culture. On the flip side, it also helps praise our home office executive team. Yeah. Right? So that, that's kind of like a, a manual. And everybody wants to get in here and, and some of the things. And we document all of our stuff in the manual. So therefore, if, if, if I have a bad day or some instructor comes in to teach the business, they just grab the manual. They grab the practice. 100%. And instead of uh, individual running the business, you know, we have an operator in the, to, to make sure that uh, all the systems are being run. Instead of you know you being caught up in the midst of your business once again, so we I took that from the military. We call it SOP, Standard Operating Procedures, and that's why the military, and your, your military too as well, because I've served with a lot of them overseas, as allies to the United States, is you can plug in people in different areas based on standard operating procedures, rules, and regulations, and the things that sometimes annoy us are the things that allow things to run a lot more smoothly. Hundred percent. I think you touched an amazing point. I think that. For the listeners, one, one point I want to make on this is the very first thing you can do around this is look at your front desk staff and say, what are they doing? Get them to document it because yes. the, the worst thing you can have is an assistant who runs your business because yeah. what happens if they leave? Yep. Holy crap. So what we did was we got them to document everything that they're doing and it's all noted down. And then we used Loom and got them to, you know, screen record videos of how to book appointments and everything like that and put them into Google documents. And then we've obviously taken that and made it prettier. But that was the very first thing we did was I said, look, you're just going to record everything you do today and talk as if you're training someone. Because then when we brought in a new employee, that person can then just go through the manual, watch the videos, learn it. And so our first training session was show me how to book an appointment. Rather than, okay, this is how you book an appointment, you click here. Because we'd repeated that and I said to my wife, this is stupid. Why are we constantly telling people which buttons to click and why can't we just record it? At the time, I wasn't you know, hip with all the technology, didn't know how to do this stuff. I just tried to hustle and figure it out. And now I look back, I'm like, yeah, document everything because then your employee is replaceable, which is good in a management situation. You don't want to have someone that you have to keep on even though they're not a good fit. Uh, and B, if something happens and they leave, you want to be able to bring others on. And if you want to expand, like we did, we hired a bunch of assistants here's the manual, go learn the stuff. It's much easier to keep them accountable uh, and trained. And then you move from there into, you know, what your practitioners are doing. You don't have practitioners, you do, what are you doing? And you just start to standardize everything. So it's super simple. When we bring on a new associate, there's a training manual to go with it. There's videos, there's everything. They know the role. And then we begin to train at a kind of secondary level, not, you know, the first of how to open the door and what buttons to click. You know what I mean? Because it's already there, 100%. There's a systems genius out there. His name is Marshall Thurber. He said, Matt, 85% of your success or failure is due to the first 15% of your process. Mm. First 15% of process. If the entry point isn't coming in, the measurement expectations are met up front, is either you're going to determine success or failure if the first 15% isn't taken care of. So I've always gone back to the first 50%. Because if I can get the first 50% of the relation going on, the first 50% of training, first 50% of just indoctrinating them into our company, then I'm going to know it's going to be more of a coaching conversation versus damage control. <laughs> uh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, I've felt that. And now that you said, I'm thinking like some of the stuff, you know, here you can just kind of, you figure out as you go, but then you hear it later and you're like, that's what it is. 100%. Because when I look at it, with the employees we have now compared to the employees we used to have, it was constantly this managing of them because we were looking at that 85%. How do I make them better? How do I help them you know, have more drive? And how do I do this? How do I do that? Rather than looking at the front end. And now when I think about uh, our staff, 
uh, or my contractors or whoever I've got my sales reps. I mean, look at that. Look at it now. I think the first 15% is more on point. And so the rest of it is much easier. I mean, we're not having to, to deal with people who are not a good fit, people who just don't know the role, people, all of this sort of thing. I think that's super important. So for our listeners, think about it. Look at who your, your best employees are and who the ones over the past who have given you some crap and think about that first 15%, that, you know, that, that 85% and think, where was it more polished with them? Uh, and how can, we, how can we change it? With success obviously comes more revenue, but it also comes more expenses, more overheads, more management of, of finances and things. And I know that you're a bit of a, not to say the word, but guru with this sort of stuff. So give us an idea of what are some key numbers in a business that we really need to be thinking about in terms of uh, finances, if we're wanting to be successful long-term versus short-term. I think a lot of people just look at how much money am I bringing in as their measure of success, which might be good in the yeah. first couple of weeks, but breaks down. The, the, the biggest thing for us is, you know, especially when you're, when you're looking for some success and some validation, I often find so many people that have a business, they don't respect the business at all. In other words, they're trying to live on the business too soon, mm. right? And so, just depending on if you're out there and you, you, want to, you want to upgrade your lifestyle, I wouldn't recommend doing that for, for a while. So we, we, I operate on a, uh, what do you call it, 20, 30, 50 rule. So as revenue comes in, you know, 10%, I'm, I'm a faith-based guy, so first 10% comes in, you give it, save it, give it to charity, give it to church, whoever. The other 10% you apply towards taxes. The other 30% you save and invest for reinvestment of capital. The other 50% you live on, you pay your bills with. The business bills, your personal bills, that's it. Well, Matt, I don't have enough money for that 50% to pay the bills. Well, that's not the business's fault. You need to increase your revenue. You need to get out there and pound and find more customers and more patients, more sales. You create some revenue sources and you need to build that up. But you're going to be happy knowing that you're not going to be living patient to patient, customer to customer, month to month, because you're eventually going to build some financial reserves. And then when you have some financial reserves, you have confidence. You're not stressed out about a lot of different things. And when you have cash and capital, for me, I like hiring people in twos. Okay, I like hiring two assistants, two staff at the same time. Here's why. I tell them both. And listen, the ideal moment is I hire you both because if I hire you both, the, the productivity of my business is going, to, is going to increase. But with that being said, chances are you, both of you staying here after 30 days is probably not going to be 100%. You know, so one of you might be gone. But in the meantime, guess what I find? I find out who's more competitive. I find out who wants to yeah. show up early. I find out who wants to stay late. I find who really wants the job and eventually, one that wants to be lazy, just to punch it. I find that out through pressure, not through me, peer pressure. I like to hire in twos. And then when I hire them, I like to hire somebody else to give them pressure to as well. So I don't think about just one assistant. I was, I'm always thinking about twos. I'm always, mm. I'm, I'm always hiring in twos. So that, that's how I started thinking and started evolving. And that simple process there started spiking up the revenues. So therefore, cash and capital come in. And for 21 years, James, 21 years, I've never borrowed money from a bank Never borrowed money from the Small Business Administration to fund and finance my business, my expansion of my business. We're in a 12,000 square foot office right now. It's all self-finance, all self-capital. I'm the bank. That, for me, has allowed me to have a lot less stress yeah. uh, when wanting to expand or hire people. Yeah, I always look at it in the same terms as how does this thing self-fund and grow and, and yep. we be lean? Uh, and because the last thing I want to do is to, to go into debt when I don't have the processes in place. Capital can be great you got the processes and it's just like, great, inject some cash and you can grow. But for most people, I think that there's trouble there. Unless you're experienced in business and you're borrowing to grow, I think it, it can be a slippery slope. So easy to borrow, by the way. It's so easy to borrow. Banks will say, yes, no problem. Doctor, oh yeah, no problem. They see that, right? Like same thing with raising money, borrowing money, raising money, you know, same thing. It's always easier to spend somebody else's money. 
Of course. Always give somebody else's money. That's why, that's why I don't recommend that's it. That's why it's a trap. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like credit cards. You know what I mean? It's, it's too easy. I use them to collect points. I am only spending what I have because I, I get bonuses. I got an Amex for that reason so I can fly cheaper. Um, but I'm never looking at how do I use extra money that I don't have. It's dangerous. Um, hiring in twos. I like that idea. I do that with associates. We'll hire multiple contractors simultaneously, which pushes me to hustle and make it work because if I can get them both doing well, then that's better. It's more productive. Uh, and if yeah. one's dodgy, doesn't matter because we've already got someone there because to train two people, at least my opinion, is basically the same effort as to train one because they can do group trainings. You can give them the same stuff. There isn't this kind of learning curve and then you figure out their crap and then you get rid of them and then you have to start again. We've got both of them there and you can just let one go and continue and then I bring in others. Uh, and that's always allowed us to, to grow a lot further as well as just kind of emotionally investing in myself and saying, I can do this and I'm going to prove that by hiring two people. My wife would, you know, she's more conservative than me. Uh, and so she looks at it and she's, oh, James, I don't know I don't, how we're going to do this. I said, babe, we're going to do it. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out as we go. And so that's always been my mentality is if the problem's there and I'm driven enough, I'm going to figure it out. And so I love to kind of push myself that way and hiring two people. I think it's a really, really good piece of advice. Yeah. What's one thing do you think that, that has helped you be successful from internally? Is it what you focus on is there, do you think you've, you've been born with a gift? What do you think's allowed you to kind of get to where you are? I wake up every day with air in my lungs. That's my gift right there, man. But uh, I, I had no financial head start. I didn't have a last name to, to lean on and have a pedigree. If I knew what I was doing, I wouldn't listen to the Marine Corps. But uh, I, I came out with just, just scratch, just an idea and hope, desire, hustle, muscle. But you know, what's allowed me to constantly improve my game is, is a couple of things. Uh, number one, thankfully, uh, one of the best things I've ever had in my entire life was having a mentor. Mm. Somebody that's mentored me, been there, done that. And by the way, my current mentor is four or five years younger than me, mm. right? But he's got three times the business experience that I do. I started my business at 30, uh, 38. He started his business at 30. He developed two companies. Uh, he's a decamillionaire. I haven't reached the status of being a decamillionaire selling company, so I'm following him. So... To me, age has got nothing to do with having a mentor. If anything, you want to look for people with experience. And, and when you're around people with experience, when you're around people that says, you know, I've, I've helped this, I've helped that, I've, I've scaled, I've done this, you got to be listening to them. If you're not listening to me, you have to ask yourself, why aren't I listening? Back to ego. One of my favorite shows to watch, by the way, is Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Right? I, I love watching that show. It isn't his cooking show. It's how he goes in there and fixes businesses and it just blows my mind because these people are asking for help. That's why they want to be on the show. But then when it comes in, he tastes their food, goes back to the kitchen, critiques them on the business. They get all defensive. Say, yeah. hey, you want this guy to come out to begin with that to help? You know? And so you know, that's where the ego kicks in. And so I've always had a constant reminder. Number one, mentor. Number two, check your ego. Empty your cup. And number three, implement the things that you are learning right away. Don't say, I'll do it six months from now, three months from now. If you're learning a whole plethora of things, can you pick out one, two, three things, simple tasks that you can do right now? Because that will increase your learning. That will increase your experience, your wisdom, right? And it'll want your mentor to want to mentor you because they see progress and you're not asking the same question four or five different times over just to get the answer that you want. That has really helped me uh, understand and the, and the resources that I'm, I'm plugged into because I'm plugged into resources of people that have been there, done that longer than I have, then I can save myself a lot of time, a lot of energy, and in this case, a lot of money. 
investing yourself always produces dividends if you actually implement on it and i like what you said there it's you know you can learn a lot of stuff but knowing and doing are two very different things and successful people consistently do they don't just sit and learn and read books and watch videos and say they know a lot of stuff because there are plenty of experts out there who are broke and the difference between an expert and authority is, is someone that actually does the work and people follow it. And so you don't have to be the, the world's greatest expert. You actually have to be the one who's actually implementing on the stuff and learning from others and treating it like stepping stones. I've jumped from mentor to mentor over the time, not just skipping between them. Too many people buy courses and join programs and never do anything. You've got to learn and immerse yourself and do it. And then when you're reaching that point of, look, there's a next, the next rung on the ladder, I can reach out to it. You pull on that one. Um, but too many people kind of just, yeah, they just keep jumping between the, stuff. The best resource that I've ever had in my career, I've been the resource that I purchase, I'll purchase my, your material, but I need either you or somebody to hold myself accountable to. Mm. Somebody that can coach me along doing it. I'm a, young, I'm a young practitioner evolving into become a business owner, entrepreneur. So I, I, for me, I just needed that. I'll buy, I'd say, I buy your course, but give me some resources that I can either reach you or somebody that originally sold me to it or somebody that can hold me accountable or somebody in my community that can hold me accountable to because Sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're kind of in a lonely spot. They need somebody to lean on and then sometimes a shoulder to cry on. hundred percent, hundred percent. I've got one last question for you. What's one thing that uh, health professionals can do this week to, to grow their business and go from, like we talked about, to go from practice uh, to business? I'd say what has helped me a lot, something, something to consider is for me, my business grew when I gave a piece of the pie to my junior associates. Mm. When they said, Matt, if I'm gonna bust my tail for you to operate this business, okay, they're thinking, all of them, all 10 of them, boom, radio station, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? So if I'm gonna help you build your practice, if I'm gonna help your business, what's in it for me? Well, let's, what do you guys want? What do you guys wanna do? What would you like this business to become because you got involved in it and then because this becomes, because of your involvement, what do you want? A short side person, like, oh, I'm giving up a lot of the pie. I'm giving up a piece of the pie. But a long-term vision person said, you know what? They deserve some of that. I'm not saying give up the whole pie. Give them mm-hmm. percentage and make that based on a meritocracy. If 10 of you guys uh, bust your tail and you bring in X amount of revenue, you bring in X amount of patients, you're helping increase system processes, and it's based on meritocracy, then I'm going to give you stock and equity and a piece of the company based on your, on your ability to bring business to the table. You know? So that, that way, there's no favoritism. There's no politics. There's no other mm-hmm. agenda. If you bring it, boom, here, here's your stock, here's your equity, here's a piece of the business. It's something for them too as well. Say, you know what? This is awesome because part of that too is you're also incorporating not only entrepreneurship, but what I call intrapreneurship. And sometimes the intrapreneur sometimes makes more, if not exceeds, the entrepreneur. I mean, you look at Bill Gates. Bill Gates was the entrepreneur, but he, got, he had a guy, his chief operating officer, right, who also became a 30, 40 billionaire. And he bought the LA Clippers. Is he okay with uh, having an entrepreneur he gave stock to? He just said, hey, I'm happy I had you. He was a 30th employee at Microsoft. So if you're thinking like a business owner, you're, think, you're thinking long-term, you're going to find the people that want to stick with you long-term. You're going to have not only a great business, you're going to have some great relationships with you for the rest of your life. Well, you said it early on, right? You can go fast if it's you and you can go far if you've got a team and investing in your team is definitely the thing that, that I've learned over my uh, entrepreneurial journey that that's going to help me go the furthest is understanding that team is important. And 
You know, we, we start out, it's just us. We're just hustling, but you've got to have that long-term vision. You've got to focus on investing in your team. I love it. Great advice. Thank you so much. Where can our audience connect with you online? Very easy. Moneysmartguy.com is my website, but if you want to go on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere, it's Money Smart Guy. You can find me there. Uh, we think we give you strategies, how to think like a millionaire, how to strategize like a millionaire. So therefore, one day eventually you become a first generation cash flow millionaire, moneysmartguy.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an awesome episode. There's a lot of value there. Uh, we'll be definitely speaking soon. Appreciate it. James, thanks for having me. Now, if you want to find out more information on how you can grow your healthcare business, I want you to get a copy of my book uh, and you can visit practicemasterymethod.com where I talk about the nine accelerators on how to grow a seven-figure healthcare business or add seven figures to your revenue. There are free training, there's free resources uh, that'll be shared in the show notes as well. So go and check those out. Uh, and as always, keep at it, keep hustling uh, because we've got people to help, money to make and freedom to have. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the show. If you liked the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people, and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable, and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach, or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention. Because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did, but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business, and I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.